Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. That's bluehost.com wondersuite. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Every Nigerian must be instrumental to the growth and development of our nation through the use of innovative energy and idea to lead and initiate policies that will sustain the economy and enhance good governance. With all the financial turmoil facing the world, it has become pertinent for exchange of new ideas that will enhance good governance. Please subscribe to our channels, listen to our messages and engage with us. With your support, we can transform the lives of all Nigerians. Welcome to the Season 2 of the NESG Radio. Welcome to the NESG Radio. I'm Sadiq Olofin, your host. With me today is Dr. Zuhunam Dapel, a senior fellow at the NESG Non-Residential Fellowship Program. Dr. Dapel, welcome. Pleased to be here. Thank you. So over the past decade, we have seen tremendous growth in Nigeria's debt. Within Between 2012 and 2022, there has been over 400% growth in Nigeria's debt, both, in, both domestic and foreign. And there is another dimension to it, which comes in the, in the way of uh, CBN, ways and means. We have seen over 1,000 to 2,000% growth in that aspect. In your estimation, what do you take of the government debt management strategy over the years? Yeah, thanks for the question. Uh, so let's just lay a context here so we know what really we're talking about. The main concern here is external debt. And I think that's what the focus of the discussion should be. Nigeria's external debt roughly um, within half a century ago has risen uh, from less than $1 billion to $70 billion as of 2001. And more, more than two-thirds of these are owed to multilateral institutions. And we're referring that to the World Bank, the IMF, and the Africa Development Bank and less than 10% to China, while the rest to other bilateral lenders. 
just a quick caveat on the Chinese uh, credit to Nigeria. According to information from the Nigerian Debt Management Office, loans from China are wholly tied to 15 infrastructure projects, ranging from transportation, water, and telecommunications to electricity. And this loan is at a cost of 2.5% of interest per year, and the debt is expected to be fully paid back within 30 years. so and there, so that's 20 years plus roughly uh, seven years grace maturity period. Now, there are two main factors that have been at the root of Nigeria's rising debt level. And in my opinion, the first is the rate at which the country borrows. So according to international debt statistics, for the past 50 years, Nigeria was was on average withdrawing at least at the speed of more than $2 billion a year from its uh, loan commitments. So the loan commitments, when the government secures a foreign loan, the loan uh, would not be released to the government at the same time. Instead, you would be withdrawing from that gradually. So for the past 50 years, Nigeria was drawing $2 billion, but there was a significant rise uh, in the debt stock attributed to disbursement within the last decade. So in the lead up to the 2015 general elections, about 9 billion, five times the average initial withdrawal was pinched in 2014. Similarly, in two years, that's uh, in 2017 and 18, preceding the 2019 general elections, close to 25 billion was withdrawn. So this pattern could be linked to the incidence of voracity effect, uh, a nation that the absence of strong political and legal institutions combined with the presence of multiple powerful groups fostered a mismanagement of public finance, possibly to finance political campaigns in attempt to tighten their grips on power. As both presidents in the case of Nigeria were incumbent seeking elections before the massive debt accumulation. So this one of the explanations at the root of Nigeria's high debt stock. And the second reason behind Nigeria's expanding debt stock had been the debt management strategy, especially how the debt was serviced uh, by virus regimes. So to service a debt means you pay back the total debt stock and the total debt stock includes the principal plus the accrued interest. So for the past five decades, Nigeria has been servicing its debt at an annual average rate of 15%. That's roughly $2 billion of its total external debt. And between 2007 and 14, when oil prices hovered around $100 per barrel, offering an opportunity for Nigeria to significantly lower its uh, debt level, debt service payment was ironically at its lowest, an average of less than $1 billion per year. Now, there is uh, one of the technical guys that helped Nigeria drafted the white paper in dealing with debt in 2005. Um, he said something about why Nigeria's debt has swelled in, uh, in the past. And I quote him, he said, unlike many indebted poor countries, Nigeria's debt are not from massive overborrowing and then wasteful spending. The initial loans to Nigeria were fairly small amounts and undertaken by the civilian Shagari government in the early 1980s. 
The subsequent escalation of debt stock is primarily the result of accrued arrears, interest penalties, and export credit default accumulated by the military government that ruled the country from 1984 to 1999. End of quote. So, however, in fairness to the military junta, they bailed some of the significant projects that the current democratic system is using. The parliamentary building, the presidential villa, which is equivalent to U.S. White House or U.K. Stone Downing Street, and the federal capital and the country's 36 states with the local councils, including projects such as dams, universities, airports, roads, uh, major bridges. So they could like have justification for piling this debt prior to democracy returning in 1999. Yeah, thank you. Well, indeed, a, a, a lot of exposition in that uh, diary again. But um, you look at the the saying of a lot of people, and uh, we, we hear people say that there is nothing wrong in borrowing. Just like you concluded that um, the government could have been justified given the <clears throat> the level of project that they put in place prior to the democratic dispensation. But looking at the putting the statistics to perspective, the total debt in Nigeria puts the three different categories together as we have it now. It's still below 40% of GDP. And if we focus on the external debt, we still have that substantially below 15% of the GDP. <clears throat> so what are the things that you feel that uh, we should be concerned about, given that we see eyebrow being raised across different segments of the economy about the current debt level. Yeah, thanks. Um, that has been much of the the talks to um, people are worried that Nigeria is accumulating debt and that's affecting the country. And there's so much fear and concern. Uh, so this is what I think. Rising debt level uh, should not raise immediate concern if that comes with a falling debt to GDP ratio. So the ratio defined as the total debt stock. Uh, so the total debt stock, first of all, is how much money you borrowed plus the interest that that money has accrued. And that gives you the total debt stock. So if you divide the size of the economy, which is the GDP, by the total debt stock tells us a fraction of the economy being eaten up by debt and the extent to which the debt benefits the economy. So if the nation's debt stock is rising at the same time, its debt stock debt to GDP ratio is declining. It means the country is making the most of its debt. And that should not be a cause for concern, uh, cause for concern or alarm. However, um, a nation can offset part of its debt and still have a high debt to GDP ratio. For instance, if the country uses part of its capital expenditure, which is when the government is choosing to spend some money on capital projects like building of dams, building of new schools, any government spending that is not towards paying off salary and running day-to-day -day costs of uh, operations, it, uh, it will write down significant part of its debt and that will no doubt slash the debt stock and the country's balance sheet would look cleaner than it otherwise would have been. But diverting and spending capital expenditure on debt has stripped the nation of the desperately needed resources to grease the engine of growth. 
As a result, growth will shrink and the ratio of debt to GDP would rise, a significant a sign of an unhealthy economy. Nonetheless, incurring more debt in the short run, just like you said, and using that to invest in high return infrastructure projects would potentially lower the debt to GDP ratio uh, in the long run. So the 1980s collapse in world oil price coincided with soaring Nigeria's debt to GDP ratio. It rose from about 4% in 1981 to a peak of more than 90% in 1993. And then within two decades, it fell back to roughly 4% as of 2012. However, it is firmly rising again and between 20 13 and 2020, it ballooned by over 250%, uh, more than 14% in, it's now more than 14% in 2020. But should this be a concern to find an answer to this question, uh, similar question, there is a debt study by two Harvard uh, eminent economists, uh, professors, uh, Carmen Reinhardt and Ragov, both were considered intellectual got, uh parents of the story of austerity and government spending. So they pull out um, data on four countries spanning 200 years um, to establish the fact that um, at what point should we worry if debt to GDP ratio is rising? And their conclusion was that debt to GDP ratio that is 90% and below would not be hot, would not hurt growth, would not harm growth. It is debt to GDP that is 90% and over, that is bad for economic growth. Even though at some point their findings were questioned and they came out and say they did some Excel sheet error and their numbers were high and countries made decision about that, but they never responded to admit that that was an error, but their paper was published. Uh, so drilling this to Nigeria paints a different picture. So debt servicing highlights not only the potential cost of mounting the debt burden, but also the risk of government finances sinking deeper into the red. The message here is clear. When a nation continues to pile its debt, servicing the debt deprives the country of the badly needed financial resources to fund economic operations and power economic progress. For instance, um, in one analysis I did, um, debt to GDP explanation showed that for every $1 that is embedded in the nation's budget towards debt servicing, uh, 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 lowest debt spending, uh, lowest government spending towards pro poor project is lessened by uh, less than a dollar by 55 cents. In other words, the more money is allocated for debt servicing, the less money is available for spending on vital sectors like education and health. And that's uh, one of the ways that we have concern that Nigeria's debt um, uh, should be a concern. So another downside of the debt servicing obligation is that it's coming at the wrong time uh, it's ill time. We don't decide when it comes, but it happens to come at this time, coinciding with periods that the country needs forex, foreign exchange earning to revive, defend and stabilize its falling currency. Uh, because a substantial, substantial part of forex exchange earnings are now being used to meet uh, debt service obligations. 
So in 2020 alone, more than 40% of our country's oil rent went into debt servicing. I think I'll just stop here. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for that. A, a, bit, a, a bit more expository, but um, I would like to, to hear your view, given the fact that many of these numbers have um, always, especially the debt service to, to revenue, is, is always showing a very, very critical situation of Nigeria. But um, in your opinion, looking at the current situation we are in the country, it does appear that um, uh, it's inevitable for the government to borrow. Because just like every other, uh, many other African countries and developing countries, the current situation that we have, it does appear that it is inevitable for the government to borrow. What other means do you think um, the sustainability of um, the debt situation in these countries can be can be assessed? Or how do you, how do you think we can also look at the debt situation beyond just debt service to revenue, debt to GDP? For us to be able to maybe give room or give them an uh, avenue to to borrow more and run away from this debt overhang of the thing. Uh, thanks for the question. First of all, um, let me try to um, share a thought here, maybe like with just simple background. So there are many things as country that we need that we cannot provide for ourselves even in the next hundred years. That's a fact. Apart from the fact that we don't have the technology now, I don't, I don't say in the future we may not have some great technology, but some commodities are patented. We have to rely on countries that produce these things. When we talk of capital goods and we talk of aeroplanes, we talk of cars, we talk of mobile phones, we talk of medical equipments, we talk of some some medications we talk of cameras computer accessories name them we cannot provide these things for ourselves in the meantime and so we have to buy them from countries that provide these things now the countries that provide these things would not accept our local currency as a means of exchange they would only accept their own currency so International trade is mostly invoiced in dollars. So they will only accept the dollar in this case. And we cannot go and print the dollar by our central bank to exchange it because that will be counterfeiting. We're, we're not authorized as a, a sovereign nation to do that. So we have to give these countries what they need that we have. And in exchange, we end the foreign exchange and use that to pay for the importation of these things. But we can start reducing our reliance on the dollar and if that happens we have the window of opportunity to lower how much we borrow externally now there are many ways to do that and if i looked at forex utilization in so i think roughly uh five uh, roughly 10 years ago there was a number i looked at that 80% of our forex was utilized on um, for the importation of food, petroleum products, and debt servicing. Now, there are four key sectors or four key commodities that when we're able to produce them, substitute for imports, that would significantly lower our demand for the dollar. 
they would not only do that but that would revive significantly our economy so number one is food if we can meet our total food demand without importation that would help secondly is footwear and clothing if all the clothes and the the shoes we buy are what we produce in our own country that's fine now by the way let's not rush to compare our country with foreign countries that you you're in the uk you see that the shoe is made in vietnam or the bicycle in vietnam the shirt is made in um bangladesh these countries have transited from the primary secondary and they are now at their tertiary levels of development they have reached their steady state so it's the services sectors that drive these economies and that's why they can afford to um outsource labor demand for the production of most of their goods so i mentioned um agriculture clothing and then the next thing is building materials uh, and then the fourth one is uh drugs pharmaceutical products so if we can produce these things to meet our local demands that will slash the significant demands for our own naira so that's one window to go about and you mentioned ways and means so that's when maybe it's called quantitative easing maybe more more formally when the government is owed significantly domestic debt domestic debt is in local currency right so the government can choose to print more money and pay pay out these debts or if they need to spend to increase their spending rather than borrowing money within the system by the way borrowing money within the system you you crowd out private investment in that the money that private businesses would borrow to do investment you take it away and government choose to spend it so but if the government say okay let's print more money to spend um that that is not really a healthy thing to do because you want to fight inflation and keep prices stable at all times i don't want to go into the details of explaining why we have to keep uh, inflation down and 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 not raise it because people ask question why should the government go to borrow money when it can print the money and spend the reason is it has to keep inflation down inflation is bad for everybody uh and mostly bad for people that their major source of income is not business because if you are into business uh your revenue is price times quantity so when prices go up your revenue go up but you don't only consume what you produce there are other things you don't produce that you don't consume maybe hundreds of items in your lifetime or within months you buy these things and the prices are high so inflation is bad for everyone so government would not keep printing money uh to do that so these are one of the ways i think we can start uh diminishing uh the squeeze on our national resources through debt oh, oh th- thank you for that i'll take it up from where you stop talking about um, the the ways and means and how it impacts inflation you know it's not, it has become a major part of our our debt structure increasing from just barely 200 billion in 2012 to over 24 trillion as at um, March 2023 so and that is constituting a major share of our debt holding now we have also a substantial share of um, domestic capital market debt and at the same time our foreign debt is um, is growing faster than uh, it used to be maybe 
some a, a decade back after 20, 2006 uh, relief. So the question is, how, what are the exposure of um, people, businesses and um, government alike to some of the shortfall from these categories of debt? Uh, so, um, I want to understand your question more clearly, if you don't mind. So, so what I'm saying in a sense is, how are people, economic agents, government, businesses, and people, how are they exposed? How do you think they're exposed to growing, growth, growth in these categories of debt? How do you think, yes, you have mentioned inflation, is um, is a major downside from from printing money. We have the domestic debt as well that is the government gets from the capital market. Likewise, the the external debt. So, what are the exposure that economic agents, household businesses, even the government itself? What are the exposure that like downside risks they they are exposed to by uncautioned growth in all these uh, debt categories? Well, thank you. So um, there's a question here that I will ask, and that question would lead me to the uh, in answering your own question, um, even though the questions are different. So, and the question is, um, in the setting of zero public sector corruption, that's we don't have corruption in government, theoretically, let's just assume, which is a practical impossibility, who benefits the most from government spending? And who loses out whenever the government cuts its spending? Both questions share the same answer, it's majority the poor. This is because state-owned, state-funded, and state-run public goods such as schools, hospitals, dams, electricity, roads, ETC, are substantially relied upon by the poor as means of raising welfare in that the rich can afford or buy education and healthcare services from private schools and private hospitals. However, in reality, this is no longer theory. There is corruption in government there is corruption in public service. And the primary beneficiaries of government spending in addition to the poor, the majority of the beneficiaries typically are the elected and the unelected corrupt government officials and bureaucrats. So they wield significant power over government budget and, and instead they use government budget as means to leak away public resources from public till to the private till, those providing more grants for borrowing and mounting public debt to finance uh, the greed of corruption. So we can see here there are victims um, of government borrowing. Those that are most protected from government borrowing are those who make decisions about the government borrowing. In other words, the, those that are most protected against the realities, the negative realities, economic realities of mountain debt or debt situation are those who make decisions about the debt. And those who are the least protected by the economic reality, negative economic realities of the debt are those who don't make decisions about it. And that's primarily the poor. So 
to me, these are the channels through which um, uh, people are affected by the situation. Okay, thank you, thank you for that. So we 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 have a new sheriff in town. We we, we went to the polls in in February and we have another president. And we expect to see a bit more different um, way of doing things. And we have been seeing a couple of policy announcements popping up almost every day. So how do you think that um, the government going forward can manage our debt situation such that the government can guarantee fiscal sustainability over the next decade, given the fact that we are battling with debt service to debt service to revenue of over 100 percent, I'm sure in 2022 debt service revenue will be over 100 percent. So, in that in such situation, how do you how do you advise the government to to approach the debt situation to guarantee fiscal sustainability? How can Nigeria clear its book? and restore normal conditions and are there hopes for a cleaner external sector balance sheet. So currently Nigeria's um, outstanding external debt stock is less than the country's oil revenues and external reserves combined. That means Nigeria can significantly write down its uh, total external debt stock, but doing so would come at a very significant economic cost for the country. Its external sector balance sheet will be close to empty. That's the external reserves will be almost zero with almost no foreign currency left for settling import bills and maintaining economic relationships with the rest of the world. This is therefore not a feasible option. So let's have two at the back of our mind because when we say how can Nigeria's debt be dealt with, some people are quick to say, oh, Nigeria's debt was forgiven or cancelled some some decades gone by uh why can't we do this again so nigeria's debt was never forgiven it was never cancelled it was never forgotten it was bought back through uh it was bought back and the question is can this happen again uh in 2006 nigeria struck, struck a debt buyback um deal with its pirate group of creditors uh buying a dollar by roughly 20 cents. So uh, those um, paying 25 billion, uh, those paying 12 billion upfronts to slash its debt stock by over 30 billion. So let me just um, share something here. So Nigeria approaches creditors and say, look, um, when 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 Abbasanju came into power in 1999, there were piles of debt. Um, he needed that money to do some things but if he if if that debt was not cleared with there would be no serious uh, significant financial room for him to do a lot so he approached the creditor the paris group of creditors we're talking of north america european and north american lenders so they said nigeria does not deserve its debt to, to be forgiven for two reasons one it is deeply corrupt and two it has oil on the ground it can sell to pay back its debt. And so, in other words, they are saying to that Nigeria does not fall into HIPC category to be considered. And so at the time, there was um, the, the, the co-founder of CGD, uh, Nancy Batsell, uh, with Todd Moss, um, they, they provided the technical leadership and drafted a white paper 
that reclassified Nigeria's position and it showed that Nigeria was wrongly classified by the IMF. And the, and the white paper led to the reclassification and it showed that Nigeria falls under a country that can be considered in terms of its GDP per capita and so on and so forth. So with that, um, there was a consideration and the creditors say, okay, the only consideration we can do for this, bring some money and put on the table and then we write off the remaining balance. So that was a dead buyback. So if you're owing $100, give us... Um, $25. So we are buying $1 for 25 cents or 23 cents. So if you're ordering a dollar, pay 23 cents and go debt free. And that was what happened. Nigeria brought $12 billion up front. And it was, uh, and that $12 billion triggered a, a write down of $30 billion. And there were significant uh, uh, economic benefits consistent with the notion that when a country is out of its debt, uh, you see improvement in the economic landscape. So in Nigeria, there was there was uh, access to an additional $2 billion a year from global lending market because the credit rating has increased and a supplementary $5 billion in foreign direct investment came into the country. So Nigeria saw its debt level fail from 110% of GDP in 1993 to just 5% in 2006. Correspondingly, the economy rose from a negative growth rate of 2% per year to a positive growth rate of 15% a year um, uh, in 2000, uh, 2000 to be falling back before falling back to 6% in 2006. Average living standard uh, measured in terms of GDP per capita rose by about $1,000 and consequently over 10 million Nigerians were lifted out of poverty as of 2014. So given that these benefits were preceded by falling debt levels, then rising debt levels are pointer to what we may in terms of development outcome be eluding Nigeria in the future should the country continue to accumulate more of its own debt. So the creditors we have at the time are not the creditors we have now. We don't know if we approach them, they can do a debt buyback deal for us. Already what these creditors have been doing, they have been they have given Nigeria some years uh, of debt service suspension scheme. So if you are you are in debt crisis, we say, okay, stop paying the, the debt. It doesn't mean the debt is going, stop paying the debt. So the money you should have used to pay the debt now, use it for something else. And maybe if your financial situation improves in the future, you can start paying the debt. So that's what Nigeria has been benefiting during the COVID era and, 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 and along with some other African countries. But I doubt if Nigeria can just have its debt uh, bought back again. And we can fashion a way out of this by looking at what, how we arrive at this debt level, which I have talked about briefly. Um, so number one is let's get politics out of economic management. If politics is not taken out of the way, then most economic policies, even if you put together the best Nobel laureates on earth, you would still have bad outcomes if politics is not completely divorced from economic management. So these things should be separate. And I would say here that um, our, our institutions need to be uh, firm and independent of the federal executive branch of government. 
so there should be no interference one of the reasons is uh, political interest is most of the time anti-people and so if you allow political interest to shape economic decisions the outcomes would only benefit those who will grow fat when the nation is milking dry and that is not the circumstance we should find ourselves there are no shortage of ideas to move nigeria forward but there is shortage of the economic will to allow these ideas to flourish so let politics get out of the way and let the experts work and i believe we would see a lot of significant improvement if you have the best brains put together and they have good conduct you're going to have amazing result but if you have someone with the right conduct but is the best brain mm, you're going to have problem he's going to use his smartness to fleece the nation and collude with politicians and if you have someone that has a good conduct but is not smart enough there are a lot of errors will be made so if you have the combination of the smartness and the good conduct and that the people the politicians would listen then these things would move forward pretty fast. But in the meantime, I would advise against government printing a lot of money and government can start dealing with the high domestic debt in a variety of ways. So, and that's the privilege the government has. It can, it can convert uh, most of these debt to long-term bonds. And that means the maturity doesn't have to be immediate but the the benefits will accrue and you can disburse these proceeds to those who hold these bonds and that way you still keep a lot of money out of circulation and one way too is to is to how do i put it now um if our politics can can run without so much spending of money that would help because when there is a strong connection between the economic management and politics then the politics would use the economic management to get a lot of money to run campaigns. So and the reason why there is so much money involved in our counter campaign is there is this belief, and it's not just a belief, we've seen it happen, that gaining political power in Nigeria is the quickest route to wealth, to make money. And so people don't care how much they spend to win elections. So if we can disincentivize greedy politicians, we may succeed in lowering the desperation for political powers. I mean, we've not seen like in some, although I'm wary of comparing Nigerians with Nigeria that is less than 100 years old with countries that have been centuries in the making. But we hardly see a governor in our country or a minister or a president say or a prime minister say, you know what, after I've made a mistake and I can no longer lean against the win of popular opinion, I'm resigning. We hardly see these things happening. And the reason why people quickly resign, they know that you cannot use political power um, uh, just to, to, to take control of uh, opportunities and this. And before I close up on this, um, this 20, uh, 19th century abolitionist, uh, Frederick Douglass, he once said something very profound about institutions that uh, one time that a nation may one day find itself, find itself in the hand of a bad man as a leader. But if the institutions are well established and strong, there is little or no damage that man can do to the country. And we have to get to that level. 
then we can start seeing our economic policies shaping lives of even ordinary men on the street. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dr. Dapel. We really appreciate your time. We've had a very good conversation today and we hope to see you another time. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of today's interesting program. You can learn more about the NESG's If Not Now When campaign at www.ifnotnowwhen.ng. You can also listen to other interesting conversations by visiting www.nesggroup.org forward slash podcasts. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.